As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures, but there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and ever in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Jonathan Hao Yoon, currently artist at Free Lives, so join us as we explore his journey. As always, if you haven't already done so, please consider dropping the show a five-star review or equivalent on your podcast service of choice. It really helps grow Dev Diary, and I'd appreciate your support. On to the episode. So today I'm joined by Jono. How are you? I am great, thank you. Uh, good. Thanks for good having to hear. me. Welcome aboard the show, and uh, really looking forward to unpacking your your career so far. There's some really cool projects that you've been a part of, including one that is on the way. Uh, for anyone unfamiliar, Jono is working on the upcoming Terra Nil, and it's a game that I personally am really, really interested in, but uh, we've got a little bit of a walk to go through before we get to that particular stage. So as I intro, this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey has led to this current point in time. But before we get to all, uh, yeah, again, all the Terra Nils and all the more modern aspects, I'd love to rewind to a point well prior to that and, and discuss your introduction to video games. How did that come about? Uh, were there, I mean, do you recall what the first video game was that you played? I, I don't remember maybe the first one, but I... One of the earliest ones uh, yep. was Scorched Earth. Um, oh, it yeah. was like the precursor to Worms. Bunch of uh, really low resolution tanks uh, and artillery that would fire bullets in yep. different ways. Um, it's ringing bells for sure. On, yeah, like it's yeah, sitting on something. I think on I think a floppy disk. <laughs> um, Goes right back, that, but yeah. And uh, and. Uh, Friend, friends had uh, an SNES that I would play on as well. Um, but but my my introduction to video games was pretty early, but I didn't really get to play very much um, yeah. because my parents had this uh, you're only allowed half an hour of screen time per day rule. <laughs> Which certainly uh, inhibits <laughs> decent gameplay. Yeah. Uh, also, I think, I think back then um, saving games wasn't as common. Uh, and so you'd have to get to a certain level and then they'd like show you a code that you'd have to yes. type in to be able to start at that point again. Um, and in half an hour... long I stretches couldn't... between save points or those sorts of things. And right. Half an hour yeah. sometimes wasn't actually enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially if you're seven years old. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah, there's an ability component <laughs> to the whole thing as well. Absolutely, yeah. That's another wrinkle in the mix as well. So um, how did... How did you grow to overcome the 30 minutes per day? When, when did that start to change a little bit? Um, I, think, I think just negotiation. <laughs> um, I think as, as I got older, uh, oh, part of it was that in high school, um, I was part of a little nerdy group of friends that yep. would uh, have LAN parties. And so in school holidays, we'd almost we'd drag our computers over and spend an entire week playing video games. There's a, a whole lot of, um, of Warcraft 3 uh, oh, yes. custom maps um and some kind of strike uh and just i don't know there were, there were a lot of like really weird off the wall games that we'd try um just because they were multiplayer and we were looking for as many multiplayer games as we could uh find any that particularly um, stick out as some of those off the wall ones that you're describing 
There was there was one that was uh, that we played quite a lot of called a soldat. It was like a, a nice. 2D 2D arena shooter. Um, yeah, I mean it, it was a really long time ago, and I I don't know how popular it actually was, but we had a pretty good time of it. Look, it could be one of those games. For all I know, personally, it could be one of those ga- uh, PC games that was huge, and I've just not. That, that was not my scene whatsoever at, at a young age, so it could have just completely... <laughs> I think for us as well, uh, being being in South Africa, um, we our, our internet was just really, really bad. Um, so so we weren't very connected <laughs> to the rest of the world. <laughs> um, yeah, Australia is still rubbish in the eyes of a lot of people. I, know. I wholeheartedly agree with them. But uh, So as, as those tastes did begin to evolve, though, did you find yourself gravitating towards any particular franchises genres was there anything that really stuck as you grew up uh, i have i've always really enjoyed uh more personal stories um for a really long time i was a big fan of bioware games oh yes um i played the crap out of neverwinter nights um and i i don't know i think i think their more recent games have departed somewhat from that but uh, i always used to look up to their writing team um the drew carpishins and, and the like from that from that era that golden era yeah um I, they just really made me care about these little pixels on the screen um and uh i played a whole bunch of final fantasy as well i think that was like my first uh playstation game which i i got many years after the playstation was released um i think it was final fantasy 8 first uh yeah okay and... yeah actually that we've, yeah we're kind of walking a similarish sort of path and i mean for me like okay. the first first <laughs> final fantasy on the playstation was was seven i had played six on the super nintendo back in the day okay. i was a real stickler for super nintendo uh, super nintendo era jrpgs when i was young yeah um so final fantasy seven was there day and date when i get got the ps1 but at the same time it was sounds like a bit like you a couple of years after the fact i was a bit slow to jump on i was a nintendo right. kid so yeah i um i had i had a mega drive yep. uh and then we had a burglary um, and so insurance paid for a replacement, and so I got a PlayStation. But it was, it was years after everyone else already had PlayStations, um, and I think it was also at about. I mean, Final Fantasy VIII has like this high school theme, and I was like at the beginning of high school. It just it resonated it with me because of that. <laughs> yeah, right, right time, right place. So yeah. Um, and I mean, as we get to you know even closer to modern day, there. I mean, these days, do you have any particular? Is there a particular niche that you really feel like you gravitate towards, or is, is it still those kind of more personal stories that you were describing there? That, regardless of what mm. genre it is, that's kind of the aspect that maybe attracts you more. Yeah. To to be honest, I've actually found it really difficult to find games that I want to play. Um, I I don't know why exactly, but I feel like I can spend half an hour just, you know, I I, I have some money. I want to buy a game. I want to have a really good time, um, and I'll browse. Uh, I'll browse the stores and I, I just a lot of games feel very uh derivative like they've, yep. they've been done before oh i see this thing it's a shooter i i feel like i already have a pretty good idea of what to expect and if i already really enjoyed a shooter before um it's hard for this one to to present something that's genuinely innovative um but what i have what i have been playing more of is um is things that are more about building, um, yep. or uh, there's there's this really uh, it's it's not really even a game game I guess it's more of a toy but like uh, it's called Town Scrapers, um, 
you just build this like lighthouse type thing. All right, okay. And uh, and there'll be little seagulls that land on it, and <laughs> you can chase them away. Or but it's it's just a, like a, a building building game, and um and it's just really relaxing. Um, I I I don't know if if I feel like I want more relaxing things, <laughs> or if or if uh, there aren't. I, I guess wholesome games have become more of a thing in Absolutely, recent years yeah. too. Um, and, and I appreciate those a lot. Um, but often they're also variations on each other. So it's. Yeah, I follow what you mean. It's yeah, rare you... to find something where it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is exciting. This is something that, that is really, really up my alley that, that feels innovative. I, I think you're 100% right. Just like how we can see in kind of that AAA space and maybe within the traditional mm. RPG or whatever, they get, a lot of games might start to feel very, very similar within that, that kind of uh, quote unquote, yeah, wholesome sort of space. Mm. You're going. You're seeing more and more games are kind of pursuing it, and there's a certain kind of theme or tone that needs that tends to come out of these sorts of games, and so yeah. as a result, you're going to get more and more games just by the sheer quantity that are going to be coming out. They're going to start right. to feel more and more uh, the same, and it's going to seem like. And of course, it's not the case, and I don't. You know, hopefully, it won't be the case ever. But it's always going to feel like, oh, what else is there left to say in this space? What else can <laughs> we do? And it, it feels kind of hard. Which I guess to that, you know, and this is now kicking it a long way forward, but like I, I certainly see in terms of that peacefulness, that mindfulness that can kind of come out of a game like a Terra Nil, where it is kind of counter to what we kind of associate in this sort of genre that it's in. Yeah. And it creates that that sort of zen-like feeling as we go. Now, again, I know I'm jumping a long way ahead, but that's certainly certainly the feeling I got when I was playing the game, yeah, in a, as we were discussing before the show, a, a Steam Next Fest demo last year or maybe even the year prior. Yeah, uh, the the game I I don't know if it I, I don't think it necessarily started with uh with the sort of intention. Yeah. Um I feel like uh especially if you're an independent developer and um and you're working on uh on things that are trying to innovate, um in my mind you make something better when there's less of this like tearship thing where I have this perfect vision of exactly what I want and I will make yeah. exactly that. Um, I think usually you you end up with something better when you have a rough idea of what you want and you make the really basic bare bones version and you put it out there and people play it and uh, give you feedback on on what it is they really enjoyed and you sort of like Let course correct. Yeah, you, it becomes a bit more collaborative between uh, between you and your audience. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and obviously it's, it's probably still a really good thing. It's probably still a really good thing to have like some things that you will you will never budge on. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's it's not as if everything is figured out from the start. Absolutely, I think every game probably has a few, maybe a small number of non-negotiables. Like these are the core tenants. These are the core pillars. This right. this has to be there. But then if the rest of it can kind of be allowed to grow and evolve and be a little bit more fluid, you're going to create a better experience for it. And I mean, yeah, what you've described there in terms of the experience and what, I mean, again, kind of jumping forward a little bit to Terra Nil, obviously the game was available through itch.io for people to, to check out for a stage there as well, right. yeah. um, which allowed for presumably that same sort of feedback. Well, we hear similar sorts of things about other games like, and admittedly it's a, it's a little bit more derivative of, of kind of things that we kind of had seen before, but something like Hades, for example, which went through that early mm -hmm. access model and mm -hmm. um, really opened itself up to 
comments, concerns, criticisms from fans and media and anyone alike. And we obviously see what that game became. And I think yeah, yeah, there's I, something Super to be said of feedback. Super Giant as a studio is just really interesting in that um, it feels like you can kind of see this like path that that all of their games have have ended up. Oh, it's not that every part every game has has been on this path, but you you sort of see like traces of Bastion in Transistor, and then in Pyre, and yeah. and then in, in Hades, and it you can kind of um, build a picture of what they learned in previous games, and then applied to um, to their next one. Where with a studio like Free Lives. Um, that is much more difficult. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, well, there's cer- certainly more of a, uh, dis- a tonal disconnect between several <laughs> several different games, and we'll get to those shortly as well. But um, yeah, actually, yeah, let's let's start to let's start to move into the career a little bit itself. So, w- was there a game or a collection of experiences, that, or even just a single experience that perhaps guided you towards the pursuit of not only playing games and consuming them, but actually getting involved in the act of creating video games? Was there a moment or anything? Um, I I did work on some uh, Warcraft three mods, um, but that was just for fun as a kid. Um, and then I wanted to make things myself, and I did study um, programming in high school. Yeah. Um, and I was using those to make games. Um, there was a multiplayer game where because I didn't know how to do networking, and that was difficult. I just wrote everything to a text file that I shared on the network, and then other computers had to have <laughs> access to this text file to read it. You do what you got to um, do, though, right? Could, yeah, I mean, I ran into a bunch of I/O problems, but I was—I don't know—fifteen. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. And it's um, a school network, so it's not my problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, I say that as a admin. teacher who's not condoning that to any of my students who might or mightn't be listening to this, but uh, that was the time. <laughs> The, uh, the the network admin did what was not happy about it. Um, no, I, bet. I think I got really lucky. Actually, there was a there was a temporary admin that was taking over for a couple of weeks while the the actual network admin was away. Um, I think because I had this like temp uh, give me rights, it was fine. <laughs> and then Dodged a few and then the actual network admin didn't know about it. <laughs> Oh, as in just came um, back and everything was kind of entrenched <laughs> at that point, and so. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's where I I knew I wanted to make video games, but I didn't actually consider it to be a legitimate career. Yeah. Um, because South Africa is on the tiny tip of the world, uh, and we, as far as I knew, didn't have a game industry. Um, so for the most part, I just thought, well. If I can't uh, do what I love, then I'll just try and make as much money as possible. <laughs> um, so, so, amongst all that, where does <laughs> where does Lumer Arcade come into the mix in terms of getting getting that start? Yeah. Um, so, at around uh, so so I, I first wanted to make as much money as possible. So I yep. thought, right, I'll study maths, I'll study actuarial science, and uh, and I learned that I really didn't like that. I, I love maths. Um, I don't like trying to figure out when people are going to die um to calculate their insurance premiums this is just That's like fair. really That's really a very boring way of living <laughs> yeah um so uh so i i i was really down then and i i really wanted to get back into the creative side of things um so i started studying art and uh my parents were incredibly worried about that they um uh, they thought there was something very very wrong with me 
why would I sabotage my life this way? Um, I so uh, careers uh, was an educational psychologist. Oh, okay. Um, I they booked an interview. They were like, we need her to to fix your brain and make you not not Get be considering art anymore. Yeah, <laughs> to, to being the the doctor, lawyer, engineer, whatever high paying thing. Um, and she was like, no, you're you're perfectly sane. Uh, this is a very reasonable thing to want. Um, so how did that go down with the parents then when yeah. they received that sort of feedback? So uh, she, she wanted a, uh, an appointment with my parents um, and I asked, uh, you know, does Jonathan do really well at school? It's like, yes, he he gets uh, straight distinctions. It's like, well, if if he does really well at that, then what makes you think that he can't do really well at being an artist? Um. And they were just like, but but artists can't make money. <laughs> and she was like, well, but if if he's really smart and and he works hard, then is there any reason why he wouldn't be able to make this work? Um, and they just had never thought about it even being a possibility. Um, so at that point, they were like, okay, we'll give you a little bit of a chance. We'll pay for your uh, application to art school, and then the rest is up to you. So I basically yeah, right. had to keep running scholarships going uh while i was studying art because i <laughs> they they were absolutely not gonna take any part in my in my deviating from the yeah, okay, fair enough from the pre-planned path I mean, it's um, not an unusual story i guess you know everywhere around the world we hear stories about i mean the the arts have always long been because it's, it's a higher risk sort of thing yeah um it is. and so I'd, and you know, I, I don't blame them a, for it yeah. they, they they did do it out of like care and concern um but, uh, but yeah, also so, check his head uh, because we think something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when, when, while I was studying art uh, online, I was um, a member of uh, an, a South African art community. Yeah. Um, and one of the people there had just started a job at a game company, um, and that was that was exciting because I didn't know that they existed. Um, and so I, I think the moment that I heard that he was starting a job there and then I looked them up and they were like, they were a legit place. Um, I feel like everything just changed. It was as if, okay, yes, I, w I wanted to go study art, but now it's specifically art for video games. Yeah. It's like everything that I was learning, I was trying to like put Transfer. in a video game angle. Um, if we had graphic design homework or graphic design assignments, instead of doing them in um, whatever, Illustrator or InDesign, I'd be doing them in like 3D software and a yeah. game engine. <laughs> um, and and, and the, I'm, I'm glad the school well allowed me, I, I'm, I'm glad that they allowed me some of that freedom. And and I, I think that's, that's kind of the point, right? Like where a lot of thinking, the thinking is really important. What software you use shouldn't be. Um, yes. And I think they saw that. So, so I was allowed to do that. Um, sorry. No, no, that's not a problem at all. And I mean, it is one of those things that now we, you know, obviously dis uh, discuss maths already. Like, I'm a maths teacher professionally, and it is one of those things okay. that it can be a little bit more rigid in some senses. But what you're really trying to encourage is find a process that works for you, and mm. if it can deliver the outcome reliably, and it's not a fluke, mm. then I'm happy. Like, I, I yeah. want you to feel like you are working to your strengths, and it sounds yeah. like. 
those teachers really embraced that on your side as well. It's like, okay, you've this is something that works for you and you're you're meeting the ex- goals and expectations we've got in a different format, but it ticks all the right boxes. So we're happy. Hmm. I actually got that a lot in art school where um, studying maths, I didn't get that much at all. Um, but maybe it's because it was a mathematics undergrad. Yeah. Um, but the actually. attitude was more, uh, you have to you have to do these proofs and you may not see the application of it, but that's just what we say you have to learn. Our way or the highway. Yeah. yeah. Um, where <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I think when people learn game development or they, they're trying to get into, especially the creative things, um, I think it's really great to start from like, a, you want to create, that's great. Um, you can learn the maths, you can learn the physics when you have a thing that requires maths and physics uh, that you need to do. Yes, and use use wanting to solve this other problem to then learn maths on the way, rather than having to like establish all of this uh, very dry, very abstract stuff before you get to the fun things. Yeah, it can put a lot of people off. Yeah, <laughs> unsurprisingly, and again, spoken spoken as a maths teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, how did that um, Loomer Arcade? So was that? I mean, was that the same company yeah, so that he, your friend he actually, went to? Or? He actually, right. Um, yeah they i think at the time they were the largest game studio in the country um especially if you don't count uh, which i don't <laughs> if you don't count um places that make slot machines <laughs> yeah i absolutely don't count them yeah absolutely. <laughs> right so um so then they were the largest and even then it was some 15 developers or so yeah um and so uh, at the end of my second year in art school um i wanted to intern um, and I did a three-month internship there where I was I was interning as an artist. But when I started there, um, I met someone who was, a, who was an intern there already um, that I thought was just way better at um, not necessarily art, but certainly at, like, making art for video games, given that yep. she'd been there for a really long time. Um, I... I sort of wish you didn't name the studio because because then then I could be freer. To, to, I, I never want to throw anyone under the bus. Um, but anyway, uh, the <laughs> I, I I got the feeling that like if if anyone was going to get a job, um, I feel like she would get it. Would because she'd been there for longer. She knew the tools better. Um, but I also really really wanted to work in video games, so. Um, so about two weeks into what would it was a well two and a half month internship i was like hey um i do know how to program <laughs> uh let me we have we have far too much work for our programming team to get through easily uh why don't i pick up some of the slack um and, and they, so they gave me that. some tasks they, they gave me some tasks but they assumed um that uh, uh you know he, he's saying this but he's an art intern like what could he possibly know um and I would go home in the evening, uh, knowing what I had to do the next day. And I'd go and like, I'd learn C sharp. I'd read up about these things. Um, and then I'd come in in the morning <laughs> and then and then I'd do all of the work over again <laughs> at work so that they could see um, and not oh, tell right, them okay. that I'd done it all the previous night. Um, That's really playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that went really well. <laughs> um, and so they, they gave me more and more complex things. And of course, Eventually, I couldn't just go and research these things at night anymore. Um, but by then, I had enough of a 
the base a, understanding. Um, yeah, that I it was fine. Um, so in this three, well, two and a half month art internship, uh, more than half of it was actually spent as a programmer. Uh, and it was around this point where I discovered that there's actually like a role for this, uh, where you can be more artistically inclined, but also enjoy doing programming um, under the role of a tech artist. That tech artist, yeah. Um, and so for most of my career, uh, that has been what I tell people I do, um, even though in reality, it's it's way more hats than that. Um, but it's the easiest way to introduce myself at like GDC or some game developer gathering. No, and that's fair enough too. I mean, and certainly anyone who works in the indie space as well, rarely is anyone just in a single lane. They are wearing, as you say, right. multiple hats. You know, they might be yeah. they might be a technical artist, but they're embracing a little bit of this. They might be <laughs> even doing a little bit of media stuff. They might be X, Y, Z. Like you can't, yeah, you just can't in that space be mm-hmm. in that one lane because it's just not, financially feasible it's you know in terms of yep. timelines you know getting anything done would be impossible if everyone just kept to their lane so yeah um i totally understand that yeah so there, there we only really worked on mobile games um and i was there in different configurations of the studio for uh, some i think five five years or so yeah i've got um, 2010 to 2014 as i was doing some digging okay on, online. <laughs> nice um, at which point, um, Free Lives in Cape Town uh, had been doing incredible work um, on the early access version of Broforce. Yes. Um, and I was super excited for them because of how well it was doing. But I was also so excited for them because I was playing the game and it was incredibly fun to play. Um, and so uh, I chatted with um, with Evan. We went together to GDC at one point um, and he expressed that he would be interested in having me join if I wanted to. Um, and I was very happy to get out of the sort of the mobile, uh, mobile cloning a game and making it incrementally better market. Um, That's which enough. is like also interesting. Like I, I feel like it's very possible to work on things that you don't super care about if you can still find a way to um, to care about something that you work on. So yeah. in my case, if I didn't think that the game design was very strong, I could still work on the art and I could be really proud of like these effects or these pieces. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Even if the game wasn't something that I, I'd be into. And I guess that's another um, perk of having those multiple strings to your bow. Yeah, I, I suppose it is. I, I, I sometimes am jealous of people who don't have that because... Um, sometimes having the choice makes it harder to make choices. <laughs> Does this go back to the the video game playing thing from before, where you can kind of get stuck looking at the screen, not knowing what to choose? It's almost that um, uh, paralysis that can kind of come with having too many options. Right. When you've only got um, one or two, like a very limited pool, it becomes a bit easier. Yeah. If 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 you know that you're an illustrator and that that is what you love, and that there's nothing else that you want to do than illustrate then uh it doesn't really matter if something like i don't know machine learning or whatever comes up or people don't want illustrators as much i mean it matters as far as like being able to make any money but but if you're just like look illustration is my jam i'm gonna do it whatever happens i feel like the chances of you being an incredibly good illustrator 
that people want to hire even though maybe there are some other options like if you're just that good then surely you can make it work anyway it's that master um, of one versus a jack of all trades sort of idea yeah where i feel like if you if you do lots of things then um it's a bit more of like a, okay well if this thing isn't going to work then what do i try next and and you don't always know what i mean there isn't a right thing right yeah um you're just making the best of what you have exactly everyone's got their own skill sets their own toolboxes and you're trying to make the best yeah. of whatever you have so um it's certainly it's certainly a fascinating sort of one but uh yeah as you say there'd be advantages and disadvantages that come with having that broader or more limited skill set so mm. um and it's always fascinating to see yeah the different directions that people go it's certainly one of the things that i enjoy most about this show is kind of seeing where people go dependent on yeah whether they've got a very wide range of skills it's allowed to, allowed them jump from point a to b to c or again someone right. who's kind of kept to their own lanes so um mm. when you when you got that opportunity to join with free lives um we've obviously we're we're building our way towards towards the current day with Terra <laughs> Nil, but there are some little steps along the way um you did uh, in your time there uh, your i guess what we would say your first stint there um general jousting was there along the way which is of course again yeah. that uh, lots of people i think to this day despite its brilliance are still totally and utterly confused <laughs> by yeah um i only worked on it for about two or three months um yeah. there was a sort of a multiplayer jam version uh that we worked on together um and so after bro force there was a period of just making lots of game jams um the free lives has a very sort of uh, experimental yeah uh try a bunch of things um as long as you know you spend a short enough time on it that it's it's not very risky and just yes. be as crazy as you want to um and it's been really really great for making a very wide variety of games um i don't think any of our games are really like any of our other ones absolutely um, and it's not. it's kind of it's kind of cool as because there's this weird phenomenon that I find where um, if you if you work on a game for for a while, which you know most games take a while to make, um, you become more and more skilled at making this game, and that's that's great. It sets and you up perfectly for making a sequel, <laughs> yes. which is what a smart studio would do. Um, but we are not a smart studio. Um, we don't go with what our skills point us to exactly. <clears throat> um, if we have been working or as in the case of Broforce, on a game for some six years or so um understandably some people are like creatively frustrated and want yep. to try other things um and end up making a vr gladiator game or whatever um and and i think that that willingness to be creative and experimental um is just so so important especially as an as an indie studio um I feel like the thing that can set you par apart as an as an indie studio is is being creative and innovative and doing something weird and different. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's something that we we've embraced. So uh, we do game jams a lot. Uh, although n now that we have three games in production, um, there's there's probably less the room scope's now. Scope's a little less there. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's more about finishing the things that we're making. Um, but yeah, so like Free Lives just has this uh, has a culture of doing that, and um, yeah, I, I think that helps us to make uh, make the sorts of things that we we now have. Um, yep. 
I think every single one of our games has started as a game jam, uh, including awesome. Terra No, uh, which was a Ludum Dare jam. Um, it was Ludum Dare 45, where the theme was uh, start with nothing. Um, and so the the original creator of Terra No, um, Sam Alfred, he, um, he made that game in 48 hours. Uh, you can still play it, I, th- I think, on the... On the itch page, uh, it's there as like yep. the Ludum Dare entry, the obsolete version, and it only has the first tier of the game. But um, there's already something quite uh, quite compelling there that I think is like maybe related to like the power power wash simulator thing of there is something the sturdy, yeah. There's this like there's something bad that you just uh, make better very gradually um and so instead of maybe cleaning a house or whatever you are uh growing greenery over over an empty wasteland now let's let's make it really clear for everyone watching and listening here and maybe any pr people need to absolutely hear this as well power wash simulator is incredibly popular let us con- continue to connect these two games because that is going to be incredibly <laughs> well for Terra <Darren> <laughs> I, I I mean I got that like I got Power Wash on on Xbox and yet it just came to PlayStation recently. Like I'm getting that again. Like I could not help myself. It is one. Of, so let's let's embrace this. Let's lean into this. It's go. It can only only bode well for for Terra Nil. I'm sure. I, I mean I've, I've I've actually never played it myself. Um, there is something unbelievably at, cathartic to it. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I when I look at videos of it, I'm like, oh yeah, I can totally see why this is compelling. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, at, at the time, we were doing a whole bunch of game jams because uh, I think Gorn had released. Um, we had a, a mobile game, Cricket Through the Ages, that was out. Uh, and so we kind of didn't really have another game that was in production. Um, we had some some folks working on a Broforce update, um, but it was really it was really difficult to to find something that would occupy the entire studio. Yeah. So we were all jamming. And I think Sam was just incredibly passionate about Terranol. He just really, really, really just believed in it. Just coming back to it. Yeah. Um, and so he continued working on it for several months, um, just after hours, uh, and released update after update. And there there was, I mean, there was evidence for Terranol being really good because it did very well in the Ludum Dare compo. Yeah. Um, but... I think numbers-wise, it wasn't particularly stellar, and I, I think he just he felt like no, we can make make the number of downloads work, um, and he continued working on it, adding the the second tier of the game where you uh, you've covered most of the map in greenery, and now you're adding variety to the world where you're converting greenery into into fainbos, um or flowers. Yeah. <laughs> um, into forests, into wetlands, uh, and getting that variety that way. Um, and then I joined him when he wanted to work on the third tier, where he was like, "Well, you know, you have this limited area. You can't, you can't buy more land and then grow more. It's this limited area that you've used to then place more buildings for creating that diversity. But now I've, I've run into the design problem yeah, where, yeah, you you have this map that's like covered." in all of these things and covered in all of these buildings um the only way that i can see to continue with this is to then 
remove your buildings afterwards in a recycling stage. And I was like, oh, that is so good. Like, <laughs> just even just thematically, it, it fits so incredibly well. Oh, it fits well. perfectly, yeah. Um, and I think he, he also believes it enough that he wanted, he was trying to like pitch for me to join his team. <laughs> Um, and so he was looking at some of the, the jam games that I'd made that, that were about like growing plants and running through a field where there are these birds and you run through the birds and they scatter that like, that they're like, which is always a beautiful feeling. thing when it gets yeah. in any form of art or real life, if you're fortunate um, enough. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, I was cry- trying to create those feelings. Um, and he, I think he knew that like I, I really like uh, Studio Ghibli movies yep. and I like those sorts of feelings and he was like I think you'd be perfect for working on the art um, working on the aesthetics um, curating the music um, and so we experimented a bunch with creating some new art for the game uh, while we were also working on the third tier for itch um, and some of it was just that uh, pixel art is uh for some people very nostalgic and beautiful and for many other people uh old and ugly and all those sorts yeah of very off-putting so it's, it's yeah. quite quite a polarizing it's thing it's a jarring thing yeah um and i think i think that he felt that um by making the art more accessible we may be able to get a much wider audience um so I, I went and prototyped a bunch of, uh, prototyped a bunch of art that was uh, very tightly tied to um, the Studio Ghibli sort of feel. Uh, yep. The the buildings were more um, instead of thinking of them of them as as uh, as industrial machinery, I thought of them as more um, more buildings that were characters, like buildings that had life. Um, and uh, and I tried to make them too. more more organic that way. Yeah. Um, and we we worked on this for a while and then showed it to our existing fans um, on Discord. And and it was very mixed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so, so some people loved it, and others were like, "We just we really miss those wind turbines." Um, and so we were very conflicted um, because I I really liked this this direction um and i could see it working really well um but i was also concerned that there was something that i was missing <clears throat> and um and so uh i was saved from this decision somewhat oh, okay, because good. there was a there was someone who wrote a really compelling blog post um uh not having seen any of the new art uh someone in in manila uh wrote a post about how important it was that Terra Null's buildings um, looked as if they were uh, industrial. Um, that a lot of the world's environmental problems have been caused because of big industry. Industrial. Um, yeah, and uh, and that no matter how much we want to fix this as, as individuals who try to do our recycling and you know eat less meat and buy more green things or whatever um that makes practically no real difference compared to the giant wall of industry that that caused the problem Uh, and so he was proposing that the the solution to uh climate problems does actually have to happen at an industrial scale 
And I was like, wow, that is, that is really powerful. Um, and a hundred percent correct too. So I guess you know, yeah, <laughs> in terms of designing the game, but yeah, as you say, it kind of makes the decision for you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the game isn't trying to be realistic exactly. We we do we are inspired by real world um, plants and animals um, and real world uh, processes, but we aren't we aren't. It is still a work of fiction, right? We we yeah. could have changed it if we really wanted to. But that felt like it was a message that was so powerful that we couldn't, we couldn't not do it. Yes. Um, so I was like, "All right, I'll scrap all of the art that I've done, <laughs> start over back, with back the here. with the with the pixel art um, buildings as a base, um, and redesign some of the ones that we didn't think worked, uh, and go from there." And so we ended up with uh, with a game that uses 3D assets instead of pixel art, but tries not to look 3D. Um, to some of that has been going with uh, a more isometric camera, um, but then it allows us to, to paint some things uh, bespoke. Um, yeah. So we have 3D models where it makes sense, but we have 2D sprites where it makes sense to do that too. Uh, so we get the shadows and and the the all of that nice stuff from from having 3D bits, um, but we get the sort of hand painted feel of having 2D things as well. Um, yeah, and in the end, I'm I'm quite happy with how the art turned out. It's been my first time having to actually like do art direction. Yeah, okay. Uh, which has been a big learning experience on its own. Look, I mean, as I touched on at the beginning of the show, it's it's been a while now since I actually played the the build from yeah either a year or or two ago, whatever whatever it happened to be. Hmm. Um, but I must say, like that art was unbelievably striking then, and I'm sure it's only improved further in the in the whatever amount of time it is that's been, uh, been since so you, you really created something that's quite striking but leans in tonally to what the game is trying to convey to the player as well so i think there's there's a lot of synergy between those some of those pillars there and and the artist absolutely a part of that um so congratulations on on all of that work and uh Thank you. i think it, it is well, speaking a, for it myself but i think everyone, artists. <laughs> yeah uh, i think speaking on behalf of both myself and a lot of people listening um we're really looking forward to seeing how it all comes together sometime soon. Um, before we kind of continue with the free lives uh, part of your career there, there is a little step along the way as I was doing some digging there, uh, which is <laughs> quite, quite different uh, to, to everything that we've discussed so far. You're with Epic working on Fortnite, both Save the World and some Battle Royale. Um, how did that yeah. emerge for you? So... Um... I, I was really happy at Free Lives, uh, and yep. now I still am. Um, and happy that you're back too. Yeah, and happy that I'm back. Um, I was really happy at Free Lives, and I was really happy working on indie games, and I just thought, well, I I don't see things really getting better. Yeah. Um, but I want to know what it's like uh, at a large studio, because I, I'd never done that before. Um, and something that I'd been doing... Uh, oh, actually, <laughs> this this is uh, potentially helpful for for people who are like starting out in game development. Um, good, good. The advice is always good. Yeah. So when, when in my first job, I got like the scare where I was working really hard. I was trying to learn as much as I could, and I thought, look, you know, this way I will always have a job. Um, and then the studio liquidated. It, it ran out of money and had to shut down. 
and uh, and then I realized, you know, it, it actually didn't matter how how hard I worked. The the studio liquidating was was just out of my control, um, and so that I had to work a whole lot more for myself. Um, yes, and just think a whole lot more about like what am I adding to my career. I don't have to care about the studio because the studio. I mean, there, there may be people at the studio. Hopefully, the owner or whatever can care about me too. But um, it's but a, this, to look this, a separate a party. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, I started to do this thing where every year I would update my portfolio and I would um, either send it out or um, or just just apply for work. And it wasn't because I necessarily wanted the work. It was just I needed to feel more more secure feel yep. more as if right you know i have a job Don't everything is fine sized. but the game industry is very fickle and there's the possibility that i may need a job soon and who knows because because of the liquidation um having blindsided me yeah i mean um, you, you saw it with your own eyes it was right there so that always can be re- that yeah. sort of thing can be a reality check for people right so uh so for me for some seven or eight years I just uh, always, every year, update portfolio. If I see job postings that are somewhat interesting, I would apply for them anyway. And uh, if there was an interview, then I could chat with them. It wasn't this thing where I I had an interview where I'm trying to get a job. It was just an interview to hear what their benefits are, what's their working environment, do their projects sound like they'd be really interesting to work on. Um, Is this something that I could switch to now if if I wanted to? Um, and so in one of these things, uh, I was at free lives. I was really happy, but, uh, there was this fear that like, I'm really happy now, but maybe there's this disaster coming around the corner and I, I just have to be prepared. Um, so I was doing the, the, the old update portfolio thing. Um, and then someone from Epic saw my work, uh, and wanted to organize an interview, uh, and within I think from having that first contact to joining the studio was some five months or so. Yeah, right. Um, and I, at, at no point was I planning for this, but the it just happened. that sort of regular thing of wanting that sort of stability by being prepared for, for changing jobs if I have to, um, that ended up happening. And um, so they, what they was really it like working to- on working on something like a fortnight well what you know i mean i guess at the time and the window i've got here's like 2016 to 18 so this is right i mean part of this is part of this period is well before it became the well, yeah what we know it to be now i mean did you ever see signs that like this game and obviously you know save the world didn't set the world on fire straight out the gate it was the battle <laughs> royale obviously as a lot of people know that really catapulted the game i mean but did you see signs at any point like okay like we're we're onto something here. There's 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 a nugget to this that works. It's just, I if we can I hit the right chord. Um, I I was actually very disillusioned with the game, um, right. because especially with the Save the World version. Um, so I I knew that I was working on Fortnite, but um, but I didn't know what Fortnite was exactly when I joined, because um, all of that was still. There were some trailers, but you don't really know how a game plays off of a, a little snippet of video. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what I found when I joined was that 
uh, I felt as if it had every dark pattern that has ever been put into a free-to-play game just mashed into it. Um, and as a person coming from indie games where I don't think about these at all, or at least I don't, I don't try to design to put them yeah. in, what I'm trying to design is the most entertaining experience that I can that I can and not to be putting in these uh compulsion loops and these these daily quests or whatever um or having to play basically a farming simulator as a meta game or any of that um to to actually seeing this um made me feel quite bad um and so I started shifting more toward that mentality of like well they're hiring me as an effects artist uh I may not like the game but I will make the best damn yeah, effects yeah. that that I can, um, and I also felt a bit um, uh, also disillusioned because uh, coming from an indie background where I do a bit of everything, um, I felt as if if I if I gave any criticism that wasn't specifically about effects, I felt like I was being shrugged off, even though in my mind I was stronger at these other things than at effects specifically. Yeah, okay. Uh, and so it felt as if like my job title actually mattered a lot, um, which was disappointing. So, um, <laughs> so but at the same time, I guess there was probably that, that offset, which is you know it was still giving you that security that you were looking for, despite everything. It was giving you that security. Uh, I mean, it's it's certainly a nice thing to say that I worked on this game that everyone's heard about. Well, that too, uh, and yeah. it's certainly nice having it on like on a resume um, that I worked at a, a, a studio as prestigious as Epic. Um, but it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a good experience for me personally, yeah. and it's this isn't saying that it's like it's a bad studio or whatever. Like it just as far as AAA studios go, Epic Games is like one of the best studios you can probably work for. Um, but I, I think it just wasn't a good fit for me as in terms of what I want out of like creativity and yes. the kinds of games that I I think are are um, are actually really good to the world. Um, no, it's like I, I I want to entertain people, but in a way, if like I if I entertain people by having them think about the game the whole time because of dark patterns, and then like not be doing I don't know schoolwork or whatever, like I, I feel like that's that's arguably worse for the world. Yeah, no, I, um, I can completely understand that. So then shifting back to kind of the the more positive space <laughs> that you found yourself in these days, and and obviously the the continued growth of Terra Nil, where did Devolver? coming along in the mix and you know, we've obviously just spoken about epic and big company devolve a big mm. company um <laughs> i think so, no sorry, offense, sorry. there's there's levels <laughs> when it comes to epic versus devolver again sorry everyone devolvers <laughs> are watching not trying to offend um but epic took on apple uh <laughs> but obviously they're a, they're a bit especially in the indie space they're a huge huge presence so what um what was it like when when they got on board? You'd obviously had the itch um, IO experience before. It was out there. It was seen. People people could try it out. People understood the core. But then actually getting um, a publisher like Devolver on board, what was that like? Right. And what has it added to the experience since? Um, so Free Lives and Devolver actually have quite a close relationship um, because they've published almost every oh, one of our games. Yeah. Um, so I think I think Broforce did incredibly well, and then with with successive games also being uh, being hits, um, it it made it easy for for us to approach them. Yeah. Um, at which point we found out that there were some Devolver folks who had seen the itch the itch game and were yeah, okay. actually asking around like 
who made this um maybe we should contact them before <laughs> before our contacting them first about it um and and it's certainly um I think one of the, the best things about having a publisher is that this is like someone else who is a business person or business entity that cares a lot about making money, um, presumably. Um, You'd like to hope so. Who, <laughs> yeah, who, who, who looks at this game as like, we want to get on, get in on this too, um, which which I think is great for like calming some some of the creative anxiety of like, oh gosh, you know, we're spending all of these resources or, or all of this time on making this thing. Is it's it going security to thing out? again? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, you know, Devolver being the the specialists at at their part of um, of the games business, um, they they then found out, or they they uh, they found out that that Netflix games was becoming a thing. Um, and they wanted to put Terra Null on on Netflix, uh, which also allowed us to have some some funding, so that yeah. it's not like oh gosh we're we're constantly spending money and not knowing if we're gonna make when it when or where it's gonna come out. Yeah, so that that kind of uh, security is incredible for. I, I mean, it, there, there's there's sort of this uh this trope of how um if you want to make video games, ideally you make it as like a side gig so that making money uh, doesn't rely on the game having to be successful because if it does rely on that, it almost like strangles your creativity somewhat. Yes. Um, and that's a really, really tough thing to work around. Yeah, um, I'm with you there yeah, completely. So... Um, and obviously, yeah, super important for the studio. And yeah, obviously having the established relationship really, really handy, but uh, continues to serve you well going forward. Um we're, we're starting to run low on time, so we'll, we'll start to wind things up. I've got one question and kind of links back to something you were talking about beforehand, and then we'll get into really winding things up. You were talking about the state of the South African development scene mm. all those years ago when you were first getting in. Now as, now as you look across, and I think it's still one of those uh, scenes that you know there's kind of the, the, the big pockets of the world in terms of game development. People don't necessarily still think about oh, what, you know, what's coming out of South Africa, but there's more and more titles that are emerging out of there, including obviously your, uh, Free Lives and their own work. How do you mm. see the scene growing at the moment? What, what are you noticing? Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I've been very, very bad about being involved in our local industry. Um, I was very, very involved for, for about a decade yeah. um, where we would have regular meetups and we would... Um, we would have talks and be trying to teach each other and and there there's still there's still some elements of that um but i think as we got really really busy with uh with our three games in production um we as a studio haven't done all that great a job of <laughs> of staying connected um there there still are um game studios in south africa there are uh, a lot of them are startups and there are yeah. a couple of like more established ones um it is I, I think because of like having having the internet as it is in some ways it makes it a lot easier to sort of be anywhere and be able to do it um yes but also there are like specific business things that make it difficult being in south africa there are there are tax things there are right um uh sometimes it's just really useful to be able to meet someone face to face and hatch, yeah, this, hatch this out um and so we're we're not 
we're not in a good position that way. Um, we have an sort of an industry body that has um, tried to um, lobby government to get uh, to get funding for folks to go overseas um, to attend game industry events uh, and to try and find investment. Um, but uh, the South African government has a lot of things to worry about. Um, and so that that's been really difficult. So yeah, it's yeah. it's it's hard. Um, but I think from from free lives point of view, um, we have tried to put uh, resources into running game jams locally and trying to like cultivate that sort of creative aspect. Yeah, great. Um, and we also have had people who have shown a lot of promise where um, free lives has like created sort of incubation conditions where yes, go ahead, we'll fund making the prototype. Um, and you know it's not a loan or anything you just you just make this thing and uh and hopefully it does really really well on itch or some yes some platform that shows the numbers and gets uh maybe publisher interest or some other vehicle for investment yeah completely um, understood yeah it's i mean create it's, it's got its challenges i, but... I think almost almost every creative industry is a is a it's quite a difficult field where it's, it's so hard to to make it and then once you make it things are relatively I don't I don't want to say easy but it's it's just a whole lot easier I think to, to get running successes when when you when you just make that like that first really big one yeah of course no I completely understand that one you have the name you have uh, more funding and flexibility yeah for sure it, it helps but at the same time obviously the team is doing a fantastic job with several different titles again we've spoken about Terranil, Gorn, Cricket Through the Ages um, and obviously <laughs> then the likes of Broforce Pro, like it, Genital Jousting can't forget that one um, but there's, <laughs> there's you know the 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 prestige of the titles continues to grow and I think that and obviously there's several others that are in development alongside Terranil um, that yeah. I think bodes incredibly well for the studio's future and and um, hopefully continues to shine a spotlight on the region and helps uh, provide opportunities for other people as well. As we start to wind things down, some some lighter lighter uh, points of conversation here. Uh, if you could go and be credited, credited for any game, just retroactively add your name into the credits and been responsible mm-hmm. for it, in any capacity, is there a game that you'd pick? <laughs> yeah, it's it's, all, it's always one of those, this is again one of those paralysis sort of scenarios. <laughs> there's there's something that I I just I love so much about um about Journey's art direction. There it is. <laughs> it is it is so it's like it's not at all complicated really, but it's just so like it's so incredible how how it's like very simple visuals, but that are so powerful. Yeah, um, unbelievably evocative. And so I think Matt Nava was the art director there, and I, I wish, I wish that it was me. <laughs> no, that's fair. Um, conversely, if you could go back and, and maybe it's the same answer here, if you could go back and replay any game, strike that game from your memory and get to re-experience it from scratch, is there a an obvious candidate mm-hmm. there? Um, I, I had a really, really good time with the Mass Effect series, or at least yep. the first two games. <laughs> I think the third one, I, I didn't have as good a time. Yeah. Okay. Um, but if I could forget all of that and just actually, Go I did. I did replay it recently um, because my my partner had never played them, uh, and I wanted to show her. Um, I, I actually find that a, a lot of it doesn't really hold up anymore. <laughs> so 
Oh, that uh, that worries me because I've got I've got the legendary oh. edition. I just haven't had a chance to go back yeah. and play it. But uh, yeah, oh, that worries me. So okay. I, 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 I think. I think going back and playing games is a very risky thing because sometimes sour uh, the memory. Yeah, but also like the the memory, if if the, if the parts that you remember are very positive, you can sort still sort of like use those parts to to create something yeah. new that still that still has those those things that you you really value, but then has the more modern sense of game design. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, yeah. And as we wrap things up uh socials and where people can keep tabs on more information about the game uh for all those things including if people want to see more about what you're up to where should people go uh terra null has its own twitter account because it is <laughs> such a different game to other free lives things no, um, so there, there's a tw- terra null twitter account um otherwise free lives tweets pretty regularly um i have been on a bit of a social media um hiatus uh, not a bad thing I, yeah I, I started to feel it was really toxic and i just didn't want to be on it anymore no and that's um, fair enough too but uh when i did post uh i do you have an instagram account if you want to see art yeah instagram's um, totally totally an option for people but i think my last post might have been a year ago so <laughs> but and i mean i found it before the before the show we got recording uh there is some fantastic art there as well so please okay. don't hesitate to go and check that out um everyone who's listening um, some really really amazing art there and I'll make sure I put the, the handle in the show's description so you can check some of that out Jonathan thanks thank you so much. so much for coming on the show and, and sharing this journey so far um, people should expect to hear more about the game in fact by the time this episode goes live we'll have already just recently seen a new trailer um, oh, and <laughs> presumably some kind of juicy new details there. I was kind of getting the, the detailing on that before the show, so I didn't put my foot right. in anyway. So thankfully we're safe there. Um, <laughs> so speaking on, on behalf of both myself, but also I think the audience, we're all incredibly excited to see more of the game, to learn more of the game and go hands-on with the game, hopefully nice and soon. So um, congratulations on everything you've achieved and uh, good luck with the, the coming launch. Thank you so much. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Jonathan's story. Thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.